everyone, and welcome to another episode of Granite Talk. I am your host, Tim Finan, and I'm very excited today to have as my guest, longtime New Hampshire radio personality, Mike Morin. Mike is in his 50th year as a radio and television personality. Five years into retirement, Mike returned to the airwaves in 2019 as host of Morin in the Morning on Frank FM, now heard on four stations in New Hampshire. Along the way, Mike also worked at stations in Detroit, Toledo, Washington, D.C., New York City, Boston, and he has served as a 12-year co-host of New Hampshire in the Morning on 95.7 WZID in Manchester. His writing career began in 2004, where after 16 years, Mike still produces a humor column every other week for the Nashua Telegraph. He is a contributor to the New Hampshire Magazine and has had articles in the Boston Globe and the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. As a former vice president of the National Society for Newspaper Columnists, Mike was honored by the organization with its Will Rogers Humanitarian Award in 2013. His TV credits include work as a television weatherman and nine years co-hosting nearly 300 Candlebin bowling TV shows. Mike's first book, a career memoir, 50 Shades of Radio, True Stories of a Morning Radio Guy Being Wired, Tired, and Fired, came out in 2013. His latest book, released in 2019, is Lunch with Tommy and Stacia, TV's Golden Age of Candlepin Bowling. Mike lives in Nashville with Barbara Baker and their adorable, energetic doggy, Basia. Did I get it right? You did. And let me <laughs> let me compliment you because uh, lunch with Tommy and Stacia. Uh, when people have introduced me, wherever it's been, it's almost everybody says Stasha, and it's mm. Stacia. How on earth did you know how to say it correctly? Well, uh, yeah, I cheated. I cheated because what before before we started, I was going through, and you had sent me this bio, and I was going through it, and I actually I'm looking at it right now. I've got highlighted Stacia, uh, or Stasha, Stacia, and 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 your dog's name because I wasn't sure how to pronounce those. But for <laughs> Stacia, what I did is I just went on Google and I googled uh, Tommy and Stacia, and sure enough, I found an old clip of a bowling TV show. I listened to it for two or three minutes, and sure enough, the the uh, commentators said her name. So I got it. So I wrote it down right away. Well, that's, so that worked. That's the sign of a good interviewer is that even the little details are important, especially for the person you're interviewing, because that's how they know that you cared enough to, to get all that kind of information right. That's that happened to me a few times along the way with, with some pretty sizable celebrities where they actually complimented me and said, wow, how did you know that? Or, you know, Wow, I, I did I ever say that? And, and it makes you feel good that uh, that your hard work was acknowledged. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I was, uh, I, I was, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't. I can honestly say I was not nervous to talk to you, but I, you know, anytime uh, I do any kind of public speaking, I always, uh, I always try to prepare as much as possible just so that I eliminate the possibility of putting my foot in my mouth or something like that. So that's, that's why I Googled that. Yeah, well, that's a very good point. And when uh, people ask me, what are some tips of, of uh, public speaking, exactly what you just said, if you have all your, your stuff at the fingertips, you know what you want to talk about, you know who your audience is, uh, you're going to be great. Uh, just don't go in there and try to wing it because yeah, you can do some ad-libbing and some riffing, but if you know your material, you'll be so comfortable, they will not see you sweat. 
Great. Thank you. I am sweating, but that's only because it's really hot right now in my basement. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so uh, as you probably remember, you and I met back uh, a couple of years ago. So you spoke at the Milford Rotary Club um, and you uh, actually signed your book for me, your uh, Fifty Shades of Radio. Yeah, which, uh, I remember which I... most about that day is uh, they fed me lunch. So I said, okay, I'll come and talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. We always feed. We always feed our our speakers lunch, and and I don't. I hope we gave it to you. We usually give it a nice little piece of granite, Milford granite, that has the logo of the Milford Rotary Club on it. I don't know if you got one, but we try to give it to every speaker. Uh, I did, and I'm actually using it. You know, one of those things you put behind your door so it doesn't hit the wall, like one of those. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm using it in one of my rooms for that. So it is being put to use. It's not collecting dust. It's being useful. Well, that works. Well, we'll have to get you back and we can give you something something yeah, I got, different. I got nine more rooms, okay? <laughs> okay, that works. Super. I'm a little bit younger than you. I, I was born in 1960. I, I, so I grew up as a teenager in the, in the 70s. So I really was really into the, the Boston radio scene back then. I was, I was, I was a BCN guy. I wasn't, uh, sorry, I wasn't a zoo person. Um, but I was like really into the radio. So I was really, so that kind of, that period of your, uh, career really, um, intrigues me. So I kind of wanted to just, maybe we can just talk a little bit about your early career and then, then we can get to the, to the new interesting stuff that you're working on now. Yeah. The early career, you know, and I think you always want to look back to the first place you ever worked and that was in Northern Michigan. I'm from Detroit and this radio station, WGRY 1590 AM was my first shot at radio. I was getting a dollar 60 an hour. I was working 16 hours on the weekend. So I was breaking even with gas because it was a four hour ride there and four hours back. And it was, uh, I was just thrilled to, to have a chance while I was still in college to actually get my, my feet wet and, and cut my teeth on radio. I did that until, uh, well, actually I graduated on, on the Friday. I took my final exam for, to get my degree. And the following Monday, then I walked into a job that was uh, low management, lower level management. Plus I was on the air. So I was able to take my sheepskin and put it to work immediately the following Monday. But I planned it that way. Ever since I was 11, I knew I wanted to uh, to do radio. So I did everything I possibly could to make that happen. And I have to say it worked out nicely. Yeah. And so you worked your way up from um, looking at your bio. You were in, in Washington and Detroit. Well, you started in Detroit and Toledo. Uh, eventually you got to New York. So I, I imagine that's kind of the big time. That's where you your career took off, would that, you say? That is the big time. I know people are thinking what Grayling, Michigan isn't. Well, no, <laughs> but I had more fun in Grayling than I did in New York City. Although I have to admit, uh, New York City was an interesting adventure doing uh, the morning show at the 28th floor of the Daily News building at WPIX. And that was the call letters, WPIX. So, uh, yeah, I, I went there with a partner, Brad Krantz. We actually had met at the all-comedy station in Washington, D.C., the first all-comedy station in the country. The station began to fail. Uh, the guy that owned it was a raging alcoholic, and uh, just it just never really got the traction that it deserved yet because we had a ton of publicity when it went on the air. So my partner mm -hmm. and I, we thought, well, let's, we, I, we seem to have some chemistry. Uh, I would get done at seven. He would start at seven. So for a couple minutes on either side, we would just kind of kibitz and have some fun. We put together a little sample tape of, of our banter and sent it to uh, 15 different, you know, people, uh, consultants that are in charge of staffing radio stations. 
And uh, one of the biggest ones in the country, the ones that were also consultants for the Today Show on NBC, heard it, liked it, and placed us at WPIX in New York. We were way in over our heads, but it was a great experience nonetheless. Oh, that's great. So you were so you're there for fairly short period of time, right? The the uh, the tape demo that we did was freewheeling and, you know, go ahead and catch the third rail and, you know, outside the, the, the box. But when we got there, it was a very conservative company that was headed by um, some older people. And we were, you know, in our 30s then, and we were kind of on the cutting edge of radio. Uh, they thought that's what they wanted, but it wasn't. And as soon as we started doing some of that stuff, they just chopped our knees off and uh, within a few months, we were out the door, which is probably just as well, because it would have just been miserable for all parties involved had it gone on any longer. From New York City, Mike went on to Boston, where he was the morning guy on the morning zoo at 94.5 WZOU. Following that gig, Mike moved up to Lawrence to Kurt Gowdy's WCGY-FM, getting himself just a bit closer to New Hampshire. Mike picks up the story from there. How long were you at CGY? Well, at CGY until Kurt Gowdy sold the radio station to was it American Radio Systems, ARS, I think. In September of 1994, I'd been there since February of 86, so eight years uh, doing mornings. And I felt like it was a good run. And I was, I was hoping to uh, – the station was then going to become um, – it was it, the Eagle. That's what it was. It, so it went from – from CGY to the Eagle, then Mike FM, and now it's WEEI. So I was hoping that that they would keep me and I would get through the morning show there, but that was not the case. And what usually happens is when a new company takes over, they just wipe the slate clean and start over. Even though I'd been told I was the only one going to be retained, that was not the case. Hmm. So uh, I decided, well, I'll just sit it out for a while, you know, take, take a little breather. And uh, I ran into a salesperson who used to work at CGY. She was now working at WZID, and she said, hey, you know, I think we need somebody part-time or to fill in for a few weeks in the afternoon because the afternoon guy has to do something. I said, yeah, sure, I can do that. So I, I just did it for uh, a couple of weeks, and, um, you know, it, it's not, it wasn't that interesting to me, and I really had no intention of staying, but they, they offered me, you know, a 30-hour work week, um, and I, just, I would come in at, uh, like, 1 and go home at 7. It's like the mm -hmm. schedule ever. I'd be on the air for four hours, very light lifting, but also not very stimulating compared to where I was coming from. Right. So I did that for five years. And while I did that, I was building a, a business, a mobile DJ business, where I made way more money doing that than I, I did on the radio. Um, so I did mine because the hours were perfect for that. Didn't have to get up early. I could leave uh, at like seven o'clock and go to whatever the evening gig was. Mm -hmm. And it would be, it was a five day week. I didn't have to work Saturday. So uh, I, went, I went there, but then after five years, I did decide I, you know, I, my brain was turning to mush. And, yeah. And uh, 106.3 in Nashua at the time, <clears throat> uh, then called B106, was looking uh, for a morning host. So I decided to go from the top station in the state to a station that really didn't have much of a factor because I would get to do mornings and get to kind of get my creative muscles going once again. Okay. And so I went there and there I pulled off one of the, the best stunts that I've ever done in. Well, I was going to ask about, so this is HOB, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about this stunt because I remember that in the paper and that's, that's really cool. So uh, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you did there? 
This was 2000, July of 2000, and it was at a time when the tall ships were frequently seen in Boston Harbor. And it was, it, it was so pervasive that every time I turned on the news, it was all about the tall ships. Now, they're majestic and they're wonderful and they're historic, but I don't want to see it every newscast. So I, I decided I would come on the air and I would announce that one of the tall ships left Boston Harbor, sailed up to Newburyport to the mouth of the Merrimack River, and then sailed down the Merrimack River to and, and docked at the Sangus Arena. Whoa. So that people could actually come without having to drive into Boston. Now, funny thing about that is, think about it, there's like 15 bridges. There, It's rocks, there's falls. It's just, just filled with all kinds of reasons why you could never put most boats, let alone uh, a boat with a 150-foot mast on it. But people wanted so badly to believe that they could come see one of the tall ships in Lowell that they bought it and they, and they came down looking for it. And one, one lady in particular who, was, who lived in Hudson uh, came down after hearing me announce it uh, one morning on HOB and she got there and realized that she'd been had. So she came back to, uh, to Hudson and called the station and complained about it. Then she called the National Telegraph and complained about, you know, what I did. <laughs> in the meantime, the National Telegraph figures, oh, we might have a live one here. So they, they somehow get my phone number, and I don't know how, but they called me at my house and uh, asked me if I could give a statement about it. And I said, well, I really can't because I'm not a manager, but I, I will admit that I did what you said I did. So I said, here's what you do. You call so-and-so, he's the general manager, and he'll, he'll make the statement uh, for the station. So as soon as I hung up, with the paper, I called the general manager. I said, "Hey, look at this is this is good that they're buying it." So when, <laughs> when they call you, tell them that yeah, you're all upset with me. I was irresponsible with the airwaves and the FCC and all that kind of stuff. And he did, and he played it beautifully. And I mean, they were thrilled. And the next morning, it was the uh, the, the headline above the fold in the National Telegraph. Uh, I forget exactly what it is, but. Uh, something about uh, tall ships, tail lands, DJ and hot water or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. That was, that was really cool. Well, on the, yeah. on the front page, there was actually a picture of me. And if you look in the background and I'm sure everybody at home has a copy of the paper from July 22nd, 2000, you can see a bunch of tea boxes stack up. It's a lot of tea. Well, when it, ah. when it was announced on the air that I would be suspended for one day, uh, some listener went out and bought 500 uh, bags of tea and dumped them in the parking lot at the studios on Lake Street in Nashua. <laughs> There's a Boston Tea Party protest of their own, and that was pretty funny. Oh, that's a riot. So there's, they wanted you back. That was the idea? Yeah, pretty much. Because <laughs> this guy didn't, you know, didn't do anything bad. Why is he being punished for this? And, of course, in reality, I wasn't. I was going to yep. get paid, but I would just get the day off. So what I, I decided I would make the most of my day off, and I drove down to Foxwood and made $200 playing blackjack. <laughs> oh, that's a riot. It also makes you wonder like, how something like that would unfold in the days of social media, you know, where people oh, – right. you know, Back then, I, I wouldn't have believed how gullible people are, but obviously these days it's, it's, uh, it's not surprising that people would, would believe such a thing. Yeah, you know, um, I could never have done that. My next station then was uh, ZID. Which is a publicly held company, um, which HOB was not. So I would not have been able to do that without getting in big, big trouble. 
because yeah. they really did everything by the book. And I mean, I could have proposed it to them and said, all right, I have an idea. Why don't I do this? Then they would have had to send it to corporate. Then mm. three days later, their verdict would have come back. And by then uh, I'd be bored of it and I would have moved on. Yeah. And they probably would have yeah. said no. In fact, there was something that did happen. Um, probably 15 years later, there was a, a stunt that was done in Oregon. A radio station did something that I actually did at, at CBY. It was, uh, I called it the urinary Olympics. But, but what it was, it was uh, getting all these people together to see who would drink the most water without having to go to the bathroom. So uh, what happened is uh, in Oregon, whoever was running this radio station, running the contest, somebody actually died of water poisoning, which I'd never heard of. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So uh, I was thinking, holy crap, it's a good thing that didn't happen to me because I did it probably in the late 80s. Wow. Um, and it was a riot. Oh, my God. So uh, when that happened, uh, we uh, the company Saga Communications sent memos to all the DJs. See what happens. Don't ever do anything like this without asking us, or don't even do it, you know, because we'll get sued. And they did, as they should have, for for that uh, prank. So that I I, uh, I dodged that bullet, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but the tall ships was a pretty good one. That was, yeah, that's it, a pretty good one to it do. It was because nobody got hurt. Uh, and it just pointed out that people are gullible, as you, as you correctly said just a, a moment ago. And yeah. uh, it would have been great with social media because uh, people would have gone along with it. Uh, but they also would have ruined it for me because somebody would have gotten there and said, oh, there's no tall ships here. And then the, True. the gig would have been over. So yeah. lot, let's all be honest. If there was social media when we were teenagers, how many of us would be in trouble these days or would even oh. jobs we do, right? Oh God, it's crazy. My kids are probably so sick of me, you know, you know, telling them the old story of these are different times. You know, I could do things that you can't do, but it's true. It's very true. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I hate social media now for that same reason, <laughs> but so I, I kind of lost you a little bit on the timeline. So were you at ZID twice, two well, different stints? Yes, I was. I was there oh, okay. doing the afternoon show for five years. Then I was on HOB for two years, and uh, I knew that Charlie O'Brien, who'd been the longtime morning show guy at ZID, was leaving, but I didn't give it much thought because I was still having fun, but as time went on at, at HOB, I could see that it wasn't being as well run as I had hoped, and I, I felt that at some point it was just going to fall apart or, or just you know not do anything. So mm -hmm. uh, I reached out after... Charlie had been gone two months and they still didn't have anybody. So I reached out and I, uh, after being away for two years and I said, Hey, I know Charlie's gone. If you have any interest in me doing your morning show, let me know. So um, this was an email about two minutes later, I get an email back, call us. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we we uh, set up a meeting and, uh, within, you know, a couple of weeks. Uh, oh, I know what I, I had to sit out a non-compete clause. I think, did I? Oh. Uh, no, that was the first time around. Yeah, you got to watch those non-compete clauses. Usually they go for six months or a year. But no, I, yeah. I was able to transition from HOB up to VID uh, within a couple of weeks. Hmm. Now, were you at HOB on 9-11? Were you on the air? I sure was. Uh, and that was uh, one of the freakiest days to, to be on the air. I mean, there have been a few of those along the way, but that was – by far the most memorable, as we all remember, it happened 
at uh, I want to say eight forty six. I think was the time. And, yeah. Uh, I, I I had I was doing a sports cast with with my sports guy Ken Kale, who was uh, calling from Concord, which is where he was doing his own show up there. And we're we're doing the sports thing, and he he says, uh, "Mike, I'm just I got the Good Morning America on, and looks like a plane has just crashed in to one of the buildings." And I'm thinking, "Oh, it's probably like the 1940-something uh, single-engine plane that flew into the Empire State Building." But as we all know, it was certainly much <clears throat> worse than that. So within a few minutes after it it was apparent what was happening, we just uh, we just took a feed from ABC and let it roll from there because there's nothing that you can do on the air that's going to be helpful at a time like that. Yeah, that was my question, actually. I was going to say, how in the world do you cover that? So so you were able to toss it over to a, a, a network. That's great. Yeah, that was, that was the easy part. The hardest part was knowing when it was okay to go back and have fun on the radio again. Yeah. Because that happened on a Tuesday morning, and the next couple mornings, we just took calls, and, you know, people called up crying, and we, you know, it was... It was kind of cathartic for, for all parties involved, including me. Then the weekend came, and I, I DJed a wedding, and I'm thinking, nobody's going to want to dance. The, the whole country's just on a giant downer right now. Uh, and then I decided, I think, um, the following Monday or Tuesday is when I said, all right, got to get back, have some fun, otherwise they win. Mm-hmm. And, but it was just very – there was no rules. You just can't go to the DJ guy and say, okay, after your country gets attacked, wait three days and then have fun again. You just – yeah, had to feel that it was the right time and the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting time. Yeah, for sure. So, so okay, so now you're back at ZID, and this is when you started the morning show. So, and that's been going. You we were there for what uh, till last year? No, no. When, when did you retire from that? I um, I took over the morning show in '02, and I stayed there till 2014. So I did the morning show for. 12 years. My goal originally was to do it for 10 mm-hmm. and I was enjoying it, but I was getting close to, I was in my early sixties and decided I wanted to do more writing and, and explore some other things that, you know, might be fun, but hard to do when you get up at three thirty in the morning. So I, uh, I announced my uh, retirement. Uh, I gave them about a four or five month notice and uh, they found uh, Neil White, who uh, does a really nice job with, uh, with Margaret Bissett. And uh, I just sailed away into the sunset. After five years, I, I, I again, I don't want to jump ahead in your questioning, but I, I, I wasn't looking to get back into radio, but, but a pretty good situation was presented to me, so I thought, sure, why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's at the Frank FM. Um morning show yeah exactly and that's, and that's where you still are actually i know you're there because i was listening to you this morning okay <laughs> there you go there you go um so but when did you start actually writing or have you been writing all along and you didn't get into it until um after you left zid yeah i uh, well when you're in radio in your early years you, you do everything including write commercials so ah. I, I was doing that but it that, i didn't really enjoy that very much it was just part of the job description uh, but then, um, I, I just felt like, uh, you know, I feel like doing some creative writing. So I, I wrote a sample story about being on vacation and running into, a it was like a Timberland outlet store in Michigan and they were having this big underwear sale. And it just struck me like, why are they selling this? These are, this is nice underwear. Is this last year's model? Can you, are you not supposed to be wearing, you know, last year's model 
this year, and I got in all kinds of riffs on underwear. <laughs> Submitted it to Dave Solomon, who was the editor at the time of the uh, Telegraph. I mm-hmm. said, I, I like it. You want to write every week? We'll pay. I said, okay. Now what do I do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was uh, coming up on 16 years ago, and uh, 600 columns later, and uh, I've I've enjoyed it greatly. It helped launch some magazine writing for me, a couple of books. So uh, I, I, I like cool. it more than I thought I would. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's uh, I, I love your columns. I read them, I read them as often as I can. Uh, you're like a, a New England Dave Barry almost. Yeah. I guess I would describe myself that way. You don't ever like to use somebody else's name. Oh, you must be copying him, but no, I like his style. And there was a columnist in Detroit uh, who I liked an awful lot too, uh, Bob Talbot, who has since passed, but he was kind of in my mind and him and Dave Barry. So slice of life, you know, poke some fun at yourself, have a little fun. Hmm. Yeah. Great. So, okay. So now that, now that you're at Frank now, are you literally right now in the days of COVID, are you in the studio back in the studio or do, do you have a studio at home? I am. I mean, I could do it from home. But I would much rather do it there. I've got more equipment that if something goes wrong, there'll be somebody there that can help me with it or, or fix it. Uh, and it's just nice to get out of the house, even if it's just for a few hours a day. Helps keep you fresh. You, you see things that might be good to talk about on the air. Otherwise, I, I feel you would get stale being in the same place, never getting out, never seeing anything. Uh, and, and I just find it really easy to look at something and say, oh, yeah, I can talk about that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that I might not otherwise have if I had been doing it, you know, in my jammies. Yeah, I'd get more sleep because it's about a full <laughs> ride each way. But, you know, I don't care. I like driving. I listen to the radio. It gives me ideas of what to talk about. gets me up to speed on what's happening during the day that I should be talking about. So um, I, I do it in the studio. I don't have a partner any longer as soon as the COVID thing kicked in. Advertising dropped like a rock, and uh, they started eliminating positions. So it's been very, very difficult for the last several months. Mm. And you can't just talk about COVID because people are hearing that everywhere. I figure people come to me for some of the more fun, uh, quirkier things. So yeah. uh, recently, uh, it's been able. It's picked up for me because I was given some prizes that I could use to um, entice people to call, and then I'm able to parlay those calls into other topics of conversation. And I found a way to populate almost the whole morning just based on uh, a couple minutes of taking calls. So now I have a partner again, it's my listeners, but for uh, three, four months, it was just me. And it was really, really hard. Yeah. Oh, so um, that, that's interesting because I would have thought even aside from COVID, I would have thought with technology these days, a radio host probably could do an entire show remotely you know because i i imagine you don't actually spin discs anymore it's no. probably all pre-programmed stuff no you don't spin discs you don't play tapes you don't play cds you don't play any of that stuff it's all on a computer playlist i walk in and it's it's all been programmed in and you know nobody's been playing requests for for decades anyway so this yeah actually see you know i enjoy the music but i don't listen to it i'm busy either taking calls or figuring out what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm surfing the net to get something that I need to know to talk about. 
So it makes my life easy. I can go 10 or 12 minutes without having to pay attention to any of that stuff because I can look at it and know that, okay, there's three more commercials, there's two songs. I got about eight or nine minutes. I can, I can actually conduct an interview. I can do this. I can do that and have it all ready to go. So it's actually pretty good. And that's pretty much all stations. Now, a lot of stations do voice track. Uh, where it, it, when you're listening, there'll be times you have no idea that the person is not there. The technology is so good that you can actually record it. And as long as you're, you're not careless, you can make it sound like it's, it's you right there. Oh, yeah. I, I once I had a job. And actually, this might be interesting to you because you used to be a weatherman, I saw. Um, I once – the first job I had out of college was for this company in Bedford, Mass. called Weather Services International. Of course. They did they – did, oh, you've heard of them? Oh, yeah. They got the, the rooster on the weather vane, right, logo? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But which, you know, maybe to someone like you, this is probably an, uh, obvious, but to me it wasn't. You know, they have a whole bunch of little TV, uh, little radio studios, little booths in this building. And they, they would go in and you could listen to them like they'd be doing the weather forecast for some suburb of Chicago or the next one would be in Austin, Texas. And they're all coming out of a studio right here in Bedford, Massachusetts. And, and they're, you know, they're bantering back and forth with the DJs saying like oh great day out there bill huh yeah it is you know but the guys you know two thousand miles away yes you're giving all the secrets away but it's <laughs> it still happens that way my weather guy uh, mike ellis on wzid still does that he has fewer stations than he used to but he became a regular character on a guy named big mike in syracuse new york and then he was on with me and then he was on in new bedford and uh, all over the country doing these weather casts, and everybody has to make sure that they stay within their allotted time windows because Mike Ellis has to get off now and be on another morning show in East Lansing on, <laughs> on Lugnut 102 or whatever it was. So, uh, yes, you're absolutely right. And and so you were there to see how, it, how the sausage was made. <laughs> yeah, it was, I, I thought it was fascinating. You know, so that was cool. Um, all right, super. So, you, uh, when we were talking earlier, you were talking about this new project you're working on, uh, 100 Years of Radio. Yes, yes. You to talk a little bit about that and what 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 you're yeah. doing. That one has boy, that's been interesting. That's been uh, affected big time by the pandemic, and I'll explain. Last fall, I realized that radio's 100th anniversary would be November of 2020. And uh, because I've had pretty good experiences speaking at libraries with both my books, I thought, well, even though I don't have a book to support this, I can probably uh, put together a slideshow and get some audio from all these great radio people like, you know, Jack Benny, uh, Burns and Allen, Abbott and Costello, people like that. And I can put together uh, some stories and I can play the audio because people love nostalgia. And, you know, our age demographic, we all grew up on radio. Now, even though mm -hmm. we don't remember a lot of the golden age of radio, well, I can bring it all back for you. So I put together this uh, presentation about an hour long. It, it's done live, but I have all these slides and I have audio that I play. And uh, I, I just sent out notes to a lot of the libraries that I'd spoken at before and, and a few other ones. And they said, oh, that's a really cool idea. Sure, we'll pay you to do that. So I said, okay. So I did, my first one was at the Nashua Library. And um, this was January of this year. And 54 people came. You never get that many people to come to a library for anything. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. Unless you have Dan Brown of the Da Vinci Code or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did a presentation. They have a beautiful room there. And uh, the librarian, uh, really, uh, Carol, really liked it. So she said, uh, you know what? I'm going to, uh, we, we have like this um, networking thing where we refer speakers and stuff. I'm going to put out there that you did a really good job and it's a really good content and all that stuff. So I started hearing from libraries. So she, she did the work for me. So I lined up without much trouble, about 10 or 15 libraries uh, over the course of a couple of weeks uh, to cover me through the rest of the year. And after my third presentation, the, uh, the pandemic hit and nobody's doing live presentations anymore. After I finally find something that, that people are interested in, mm. it has nothing, well, not that much to do with me, but the, I guess the hook there was I've been in radio half as long as radio has been around. And that's kind of the hook I'm using. So mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of it. I've lived a lot of it and I've got the stories and I've got credibility and, and yeah, they're buying that. And that's great. One of the stories is about the tall ships uh, in there as well. So, uh, all of a sudden, they started saying, oh, "I don't think we're, you know, going to be having any live presentations." And this is like back in March. They don't even know when things are going to open again. So, over the next two months, I start getting notes from them saying, "Hey, do you have a virtual version of this?" I said, "No, but it seems like you guys want that." So, uh, as we speak, I'm in the middle of uh, producing. Uh, what's going to be like a live version of me talking with all the audio and all the, the slides and everything that I have somebody putting together for me and people will be able to log in and get it. And uh, the libraries are still willing to, uh, to, to pay for that. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. and I figured I better get ahead of this because a lot of presenters are not going to go through that trouble or they're not going to realize it. And, and I know between now and the end of the year, there's not going to be any live library presentations. And if there are, who's going to show up? Right, exactly. So now you make it real easy. People can just look at it when they want. And, um, and so I've got a bunch of ideas for other types of things as well that I'm working on. Yeah, that's good. I was actually going to suggest that. As, as you were talking about it, I was going to say, oh, make a, make a video, do a virtual uh, presentation, because that would be – that you know, that's one of the silver linings about all this stuff is pe- people are learning these new ways to do things, and and uh, a lot of them I think are going to stick around, and this kind of stuff might be one of them. I, I oh. think so, uh, and I mean I don't have the skill sets to actually do all that, so I found somebody uh, who I really really like. Uh, that's you know I'm I'm cutting all the voice tracks and uh, giving them all the scripts and everything, and they're just going to put it together, and I'm. This week, I'm, I'm cutting the voice tracks, and hopefully within about a week, it'll be done. I, I had a trailer made so that I, yeah. I could send a sample to all the libraries. This is what, you know, what you're going to be getting, and I'll be able to send that out to all kinds of libraries. And here's the great thing. I can now take this national. I've, mm-hmm. I've got a library in New Jersey that's, that's paying for my presentation, uh, mm-hmm. whereas I, I never would have driven to, you know, I'm not getting that much money. It's not that much. But now I can do it one time and send it out and get paid every time. So we'll, yeah. we'll see how much interest there is beyond New England. But uh, it, it, it's a really cool presentation. It's fun. Some of the things that I learned about uh, some of these people uh, that I was uh, doing stories about uh, blew my mind. Some of the behind-the-scenes stories that I think people will be surprised to hear. Oh, I better be absolutely fascinating because, like you said, back in the in the day, radio was 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 everything. You know, you got those old-time pictures of families you know, huddled around a radio. Um, yeah, it's it's a part of the fabric of the nation. That's exactly right, and that's what I'm trying to recreate in kind of a strange way, I guess. 
Do you do you talk at all about sports on the radio? Uh, on the air now, uh, a little bit, not a whole lot. No, I don't mean on on the. I mean in in this presentation you're talking about because I know I'm a big baseball fan and and baseball on radio has a big you know part of my heart. I love I love listening to baseball on the radio. Right. You no, know, you're right uh, because radio is so broad that I pretty much limited it to uh, to comedy and dramas. Mm-hmm. And then some of the early DJs, like I, I, I talk about Don Imus and play a clip from him, uh, the guy that invented uh, the, the slogan rock and roll. Uh, yep, Freel, right? Freel. Yeah, Freel. Alan, Alan Freed. Um, and, and one of the behind-the-scenes stories was the fact that he had to be buried three times. And why that, oh. why that was is a pretty interesting story in itself. So that I stuck with that. But, you know, that would be a great idea to do, you know, Sports on radio, Bobby Thompson, you know, the, yep. the home run heard around the world and, and all those kinds of things. So I, you just got it. The possibilities, I think, are are endless. And, and I'm definitely putting my mind to work for other things that once I get a following through libraries, they, they might just say, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we trust you. Go ahead. Just do whatever you want. <laughs> No, that's great. That's actually, yeah. We're at my uh, our Rotary Club, Milford Rotary. We we've, we've really taken that kind of mentality to heart too, because we have to meet remotely now, and it's very odd. Oh. So we've been doing, we've been creating all these interesting videos of club members doing things to just kind of keep everybody engaged, and it's really working. Well, it's great. Let me tell you, I saw the video you did uh, for the the bowling. Oh yeah, the bowling one wasn't that fun. That was outstanding. I was really impressed. So whoever put all that together, I said, "Man, that's, that's good stuff." Yeah, that was mostly me. I wasn't in it. I did all the the video and the editing at the end. Well, let me um, give you my compliments, man. You did a great job on that. Oh, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, we're trying to do more of that to keep people engaged. Yeah. Okay, so this is anything else uh, on your plate that uh, you want to talk about? Uh, no, I. Uh, what else? Yeah, I actually am working on another couple books, uh, but neither of them uh, I'm contracted for yet. One is uh, being looked at right now. I just submitted a couple sample chapters yesterday, and um, so so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep writing because the thing is, when you do uh, an appearance somewhere, that's your chance to sell books. Yep. Now, and this this history of radio, well, part of the method behind my madness was that. I wrote the book, as you mentioned, Fifty Shades of Radio, and uh, they have not all been sold. And so when I when I do these library appearances, oh geez, look what I've got! Fifty Shades of Radio. This is this is yeah. my stake in in Fifty Years of Radio, and and people buy books for me, uh, even though it's not about that specifically. So it's always a good opportunity to to sell to sell more books. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. All right, great. Thanks. Uh, I want to thank Mike Morin again for talking to us today. I really enjoyed this. Uh, you have quite the interesting career. <laughs> thank you. And a great you, you had a lot more insight into what to ask than, than a lot of people do that, you know, just like throw something together. So you really uh, did your homework, and I do appreciate that. Well, thank you very much. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, so you can listen to Mike every morning, Monday through Friday, 6 to 9 a.m. on Frank FM. Uh, uh, you had said that there were four stations that carry that. Do you know what, what the call letters are? Without my without my in front of me, yes, I do. Uh, for, say, Manchester, Nashua, 106.3. Uh, for some of the other areas nearby, uh, 99.1 as you get up toward Concord. 
in the Lakes area, 98.7. Uh, I'm sorry, 98.3. And in the Lake, on the Seacoast, 98.7. That was graceful, huh? <laughs> but there's also an app. You can listen to Frank FM. You can also go to frankfmradio.com and listen live by streaming. And your smart speaker, you just say, hey, Alexa, play Frank FM Radio on TuneIn 106.3, and, uh, and you'll get it that way. So there's no excuse not to listen tomorrow morning. Perfect. So it's, a, it's a new world. <laughs> as soon as I said that, the Alexa speaker started, is lighting up now. <laughs> yeah, I, my, my Alexa speaker, every time you know someone says Alexa on the TV, it goes on. Yeah, well, you didn't make her go on, though. You didn't... Uh, she didn't respond to your voice. I guess maybe you, did, you didn't have the commanding part going on. Ah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Tim. It was a very, very enjoyable uh, chat with you. Well, thank you very much. I also want to thank everyone who tuned in to listen today. Our theme music for today's episode was written and performed by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on most major podcasting apps. You can also stream directly from our website at GranitTalk.com. As always, we welcome any and all feedback or suggestions you may have for future episodes. We invite you to go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash granite talk. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you join us for another episode of Granite Talk. Mm-hmm.